The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of the Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. How are you doing? Father? Doing well, Father. Thanks Good. for being here. Absolutely. Father, I thought we could begin the program tonight by discussing something that I would rather not discuss if we didn't find it so necessary, um, so so significant. The events here revolve around the Society of St. Pius X and their Angelus Press, a recent uh, conference that they had over the weekend in Kansas City, Missouri. The title of this conference was Defense of the Family, Fortifying Catholic Marriage. There has been a, uh, a bit of controversy, Father, surrounding one of the guests that was invited to this, this, um, this forum that they had. His name was Father Sean Kokali. He is the director of the Office of Family Life, and he's also the theological advisor for IntegrityRestored.com. He's based out of Lincoln, Nebraska. He's a Novus Ordo priest, Father. He was invited by the Society of St. Pius X and their Angelus Press to this conference on, on defense of the family. And the controversy, Father, surrounded around a video where Father Kokali offers some, shall I say, less than traditional, less than orthodox methods of fighting temptations against purity. So, Father, I'd like to get your, your take on this. What, what does the Society of St. Pius X mean by inviting a guest such as this to their forum, to their conference? How, how do you interpret these actions? Well, I saw this video you're speaking of, and uh, this Father Kulkali was uh, invited as a featured speaker Actually, he's one of the featured speakers. I think they had six of them in all, maybe seven. Um, and first of all, it's, it's rather shocking that the Society of St. Pius X would invite a, a Novus Ordo priest to be a featured speaker at one of their conferences for restoring the family. Um, I mean, surely they must have other more qualified traditional Catholic speakers to address the people. I mean, why would people come to a conference like that, hosted by the Angelus Press, as it was, and uh, the Society of St. Pius X to hear a Novus Ordo priest address them on the subject? But especially this particular Novus Ordo priest well, this, this, this produced this video that you're talking about. And when I saw it, I really, I really was appalled, absolutely appalled. And they thought, you know, people need to know that this is what it, this is the mind that is addressing them. This is the mentality that is addressing them. But it is there is no no way that I would have that video shown in conjunction with this program because it is so foul and it is so blasphemous. I mean, what what this young priest said and, and is very young. I mean, but the fact that he's in charge of this of this agency of the diocese is amazing to me with 
Um, how many years experience can he have? And how many years experience does he not have? It's just amazing. But when he says then that he has uh, people come to him and tell him they're having problem with impure thoughts and desires, and he, he, he asks them if they pray, and they say, yes, I do. And he asks them, well, how do they pray in, a, in, a, in the face of temptation? And uh, the person says, well, I pray that Jesus will take the temptation away from me. <clears throat> or I pray that um, uh, Jesus will purify my mind. Or I, I uh, pray that I be found worthy of God's love. And then the priest says, stop, stop. As if to say that, no, everything you're telling me is wrong. <clears throat> and he says, no, there's a much better way to do this. And his counsel is invite Jesus to into your imagination to view the impure thought with you. I mean, hard to imagine, but invite our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God incarnate, is what he's saying. Invite him into your imagination to view the impure thoughts with you. He even talks about the desire to watch something pornographic. And again, inviting Jesus into that, into that thought. I want to watch pornography, he says, you should say to our Lord and invite him to come and do it with you. And he says this, and this is the way you're going to somehow bring his light into your imagination. And um, this is exactly the opposite of all spiritual advice given by the Catholic Church for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Church has condemned these ideas. So this is this is outrageous. Not only that that this young priest who is in charge of family life there in the diocese of Lincoln, the Novosur Diocese of Lincoln, Nebraska, should be. Uh, thinking this, let alone saying it, let alone publishing it, right? And then invited to address the the um, assembly there at the Society of St. Pius X uh, Conference in Kansas City. It's just on something I would like restoring the family. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is astounding. Now, this was brought to the attention of the authorities uh, of the Society of St. Pius X, notably uh, James Vogel, who's the head of the... Uh, uh, Angelus Press, I understand, and the Society of St. Pius X spokesman in this country. Uh, and he said, well, yes, yes, but, you know, uh, we're going to go ahead anyway and have him. We've, we've seen what he wrote, and uh, we've already checked it out, so we know what he's going to say at the conference, so that makes it, you know, okay. <clears throat> in fact, somebody even put in quotation marks something to the effect, well, we have to be open to the diversity of viewpoints. <clears throat> Among people today, I didn't. I don't know that Mr. Vogel said that. I don't know who they were quoting, but it was uh, quoted in relation to this quite idea that the Society of Saint Pius X decided to keep this Father Sean on the on the rostrum there to address the people. And um, I again, I see this as symptomatic of a very serious problem in the direction that the Society of Saint Pius X is heading right now um it's it's most unfortunate so again i mean I, I repeat my request that people pray for this there are an awful lot of good people 
very good people. <clears throat> um, kind of, uh, let's say, being carried along in that direction. And I'm, I'm very fearful for them. So I just ask everyone to uh, pray. Um, you know, and I, I do myself pray for the Society of St. Pius X that they not go under. <laughs> uh, because um, uh, I, I know that uh, this is not what Monsieur Lefebvre wanted by any means. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, it was not what he intended for his Society of St. Pius X the priestly fraternity of St. Pius X. So I, I, we have very good people to pray for, mm-hmm. yeah, to try to keep them faithful and from uh, following along the lines and making their their uh, separate arrangement with modernism. Mm-hmm. And Father, there are so many angles to to view this from, but one of them, I think, is, is you know, in the Society of St. Pius X, you have all of these would-be traditional Catholics. They are seeking out tradition. So many so many of them have converted from the Novus Ordo and come to the Society of St. Pius X because they are trying to escape the Novus Ordo. They are trying to rid themselves of that terrible scourge. And they, how insulting is this to them that the Society of St. Pius X uh, invites a Novus Ordo priest to come to this conference and address them? But even beyond that... Um, you know, this, this, I don't think that we should find this too shocking because it, it's even worse than some areas where the Society of St. Pius X has invited the local Novus Ordo priest or the local Novus Ordo bishop That's true. To, to their chapel. But how, how insulting. To officiate ceremonies and so on. How, how insulting is this practice, Father, to the, the people, the, the lay, the faithful? Well, Tom, it is very insulting to them, but what is shocking is that there are so many of them that don't seem to think that it's insulting. They seem to think it's perfectly fine. Whereas it should be telling them there's something gravely wrong here. I shouldn't be doing this. And the Society of St. Pius X certainly shouldn't be doing this. Instead of realizing that they evidently they either go along with it or they ignore it. And this is, this is the problem. This is what's happening. Uh, they're being, uh, suborned back into the Novus Ordo little by little. Um, it's, um, well, just recently, I heard that a, a Novus Ordo pastor, that is the, the clergyman who's in charge of a Novus Ordo parish in Florida, recently told uh, the local Pius X leaders there, said Society of St. Pius X leaders, that he wanted to leave the Novus Ordo and become fully traditional. And he was instructed, don't do that. Don't leave the Novus Ordo. Stay where you are. You're doing much more good there. This is unconscionable. Monsieur Lefebvre would never have said that to anyone, ever. And I don't think he would tolerate any of his clergy instructing Novus Ordo priests to stay within the Novus Ordo. Uh, this is horrible. And we find that there are places where they've actually sold off the Novus, the, the Society of St. Pius X Chapel and are using um, uh, the Novus Ordo Diocese's uh, buildings right now and getting people back into those buildings. So um, this is uh, this is not right for traditional Catholics. This is not right, and the fact that there are so many of them who are sitting like the frog in the in the water as the as the temperature is rising um, is very concerning. That they're going to be cooked. They're going to be cooked by the modernists. So. Um, now, there, there's a lot more that could be said on the subject, but I think we probably said enough right now. <clears throat> um, if if uh, 
this this one case that you mentioned about having this Novus Ordo priest with the thoughts he's already publicly expressed, speaking publicly at the um, at the SSPX conference this year, at the Angelus Press Conference, if that isn't enough to make one realize there's something gravely wrong, then I don't know what else could be said to, to make them understand there's something gravely wrong. Um, I'll tell you this much, though. Um, some time ago, well, actually recently, we talked about an interview that Jim Vogel, again, the Angelus Press said, the spokesman for the Saudi St. Pius X in America, an interview he recently had with, uh, what is it, Catholic Answers? Catholic Answers. <clears throat> and they had their spiritual director, Father Hugh Barber, on with them. <clears throat> and during, in the course of this interview, interview uh, Jim Bogle is saying that essentially the Society of St. Pius X and the, we know as the Novus Ordo, right, the modern church, are united. They are working together. It's just not been made official yet. As I understand, that's essentially what he said. They got on the subject of modernism. And Father Hugh Barber, O'Prem, by the way, started talking about modernism, and he said, you know, Pope Pius X spoke against modernism and so on, and this is what modernism is, and it's not all bad. It has some good points, too. He said that in the interview, as I recall. <clears throat> I mean, anyone who doubts that can easily go back and check that. But I made a special note of that because I was so shocked what he said. That modernism has its good points, too, you know? And uh, I was startled that he said that because he was just talking about the condemnation of St. Pius X. St. Pius X condemned modernism as the synthesis of all heresies. It's hard to find the good points there. <laughs> But this Father Hugh Barber says there were good points to modernism, and Jim Vogel did not object, said nothing, let that go. And I thought, well, if that doesn't, that, that silence is worth a thousand words right there. And that tells you where the Society of St. Pius X is heading right now. That's their trajectory right now. To come up with some kind of a conservative Novus Ordo blend of Catholicism and modernism, but just enough traditional Catholicism to make it still, to give still a kind of a Catholic flavor to it, or at least a Catholic appearance to it. But it will be nothing but, but modernism under that veneer of Catholicism. This is the worst thing to try to blend modernism and Catholicism because they, they can't be. They're the antithesis of each other. They're mutually exclusive. But that's the religion that I'm afraid the society would say Pius X is working for right now. And Father, this ties in nicely with a question that sometimes comes up from our viewers regarding the society St. Pius X and the moral obligation or lack thereof that we have to attend a society St. Pius X Mass if nothing else is available. Uh, one of our society St. Pius V parishioners gave an example of when they are traveling and uh, perhaps there are no Society of St. Pius V uh, Masses available, but there are Society of St. Pius X Masses available. Do we have a moral obligation to attend those Masses? Because when one considers, Father, the, the, the events that are taking place in the Society of St. Pius X, yeah. such as I... We, Tom, we, we, at we this point, I would say they would not have an obligation to attend those Masses, no. Okay. Um, I think it is very clear at this point that one cannot know, you know, uh, even about 
I mean, they're, they're taking novus ordo priests who are not conditionally ordained, <clears throat> and they're putting them in front of the people to officiate at the services. And you never know what they're gonna, you're going to hear from the pulpit. <clears throat> and um, for any number of reasons, I would, I would say one should not feel a, a moral obligation to attend Mass there under the circumstances. You just don't know what you're going to get. Um, so it's on, it's on, uh, look, the Society of St. Pius X has for years now been a compromise. It's been a compromise. We've known that, okay? But when, the worst is when, when someone makes the compromise the standard, that's really bad. And there are plenty of traditional Catholics there who understood that. The Society of St. Pius X is, is at best a compromise for traditional Catholics. But when they make it the standard for themselves and their families, you make the compromise the standard, you're in serious trouble in terms of the faith, the traditional Catholic faith. So, Father, how, how do we remedy this problem, though? How do we, you know, you, you mentioned very, very well, frequently. We, we can't. We pray. And God himself has to give the graces necessary. I guess he would have to wake up the people, wake up the clergy, hopefully wake up the leaders of the Society of St. Pius X to realize that we are definitely on the wrong trajectory here. We are looking for some way to find our place within the Novus Ordo Pantheon, and this is not acceptable for traditional Catholics to do. We can't do this. We're but, leading all these people like lemmings right over the cliff. What are some practical things, though, that, that just the average lay Catholic can do to to warn an SSPX member of, of these dangers? Because you, you Well, say, I, I think they have to find out the information, uh, such as we are presenting here. And, and we're not the only ones. There, there are others who are sounding the alarm right now. And actually, in a charitable way, in a humble way, put it in front of them and say, look, do you... You see the significance of what's happening here, and um, and then to try to enable them to to see past um, uh, see past whatever I should say and you know, their personal feelings to just face reality. It was um, very much like trying to convince people when the changes first came in back in the nineteen sixties and seventies to face the reality of what was happening before their very eyes, get them to admit it and to realize, I cannot support this. Okay. So, uh, but with every word they say to their friend, acquaintance, relative, who's going to the SSPX, uh, for every word they would say to them, they ought to say a hundred words to God in prayer, asking for God to give the internal graces to realize this is wrong. Um, but, um, they have to avoid being argumentative. They just have to uh, approach it not so much as as an argument, as a plea to them, out of genuine concern for them and their families. Mm-hmm. Well, Father, if we could, I'd like to transition here to some uh, some Francis material here. Let's do our, our five minute Francis segment. And uh, we, we've, we've wanted to talk about this topic for, for several weeks now, and it concerns Francis and this global pact for new humanism uh, that, that he is touting. And uh, just to pick through some of this article from LifeSite News, Father, uh, I'll just read some of the, uh, 
some of the information about this this global pact. It's yeah. uh, the the goal of it is to hand on to younger generations a united and fraternal common home. Uh, Francis said that a global educational pact is needed to educate us in universal solidarity and a new humanism. Uh, they also added educating young people in fraternity and learning to overcome divisions and conflicts, promote hospitality, justice, and peace. Pope Francis has invited everyone who cares about the education of the young generation to sign a global pact to create a global change of mentality through education. Father, would you say this global pact is a very Catholic thing? It's diabolical for Francis. I mean, look, all of these words sound very fine, you know. Um, but we know very well that, that the devil can disguise himself as an angel of light by disguising himself. And certainly this is disguising the words. Um, what, what he's actually doing here, Tom, is taking the next logical step from his Abu Dhabi declaration that God wants all these different religions, that God wills all these religions. And, um, um, and, and which obviously he can't, okay? It's contrary to the nature of God to contradict himself, you know, um, and to want contradiction. And uh, that's what these religions are. They're denials of the, of the one true religion of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only true son of God, the only true son of the only true God, okay? The others are false gods. And can, God cannot run religions that propose false gods for our belief. <clears throat> and uh, so what, what Francis said there was a blasphemy and heresy, okay? Since then, there are those who tried to get him to, shall we say, spin what he said in some sort of Catholic direction. But uh, obviously, Francis um, is toying with them. He has no intention whatsoever of saying otherwise than what he said and he meant. Now, after he said that, Tom, he actually <clears throat> said that he wants the declaration in Abu Dhabi says he wants all the institutions, government and education, all those institutions throughout the world to be teaching this doctrine now. That's what he says. Okay. So uh, obviously the next step would be to say, okay, let's put into, into effect this this call for this universal teaching of all the young people throughout the world <clears throat> of my heresy and my blasphemy. Let's make all the young people of the world enter into this ecumenical uh, mania <clears throat> where God, not the God of Catholicism, the true God, but the God of the modernists <clears throat> wants all these different, because in the eyes of the modernists, their God, who is the false God, it's like it's Satan, manifests himself through all of these false religions. Well, what, what deity manifests himself through all of false religions? That's Satan. And uh, this is now what he wants to use as the standard, the gold standard of education for you young people throughout the world, is this, this modernist idea. <clears throat> and uh, notice, by the way, we, we went through the Instrumentum Laboris, the working document of the Amazon Synod that was just read aloud to the Amazon Synod meeting at Rome today, I understand. And you look at that document that we read through on this program, in our two-part program, The Beast of the Amazon, going through it 
practically line by line. And you notice how often he stresses education, education, education. Bring up the youth. Bring up the youth with these ideas. The idea of Mother Earth, right? The idea of the divine feminine, basically. Um, even the idea of bringing on board women clergy, women ministers, who know the song of, of Pacamama. He doesn't use the word Pacamama, but you notice what they did when they were getting ready for the Amazon Synod. <clears throat> they had the statues of the, of the uh, naked pregnant uh, idol, Pacamama there, and they're bowing down and worshiping before it, right there in the Vatican with Francis sitting there observing this. And he receives this, uh, basically this idol, being told it is Our Lady of the Amazon, which is blasphemy, very crude blasphemy against Our Lady. <clears throat> and uh, But Pacamama is a major figure <clears throat> in the uh, South American uh, native nativist religions and animist religions. Uh, she's the mother of the serpent. <clears throat> okay. And uh, she's also the mother of song. And notice, as you read through, the, the document, uh, the working document for this, for the, uh, Amazon Senate, how often it talks about singing, how we're singing. It sounds so silly when you're reading it because you don't realize that it has a major part in the Amazonian, uh, nativist and animist religions that Pacamama taught, basically taught the world to sing, you know. And now you realize what they're getting at. They're getting at this pagan religious, figure and this pagan religious symbol. And this is what they they want to introduce. <clears throat> All of this um, is tied in with Wicca and Satanism. <clears throat> Aleister Crowley, who styled himself the most wicked man on earth, in his book of the law, talks about patriarchal society of Christianity is dying. We must kill it and introduce in its place the matriarchal society. Feminism, women, the dominance of women, the woman. What is associated more with Amazon? What does the figure of an Amazon represent? Right? And, uh, well, anyway, this, this may seem just too much here, but it's not. And in fact, I'd like to do a special 15, 20 minute segment just on this subject. In the year 1907, Pope St. Pius X, issued the encyclical, Pascendi Dominici Gregis, condemning the errors of the modernists. That very same year, <clears throat> a convert to the Catholic faith in England named Robert Hugh Benson, <clears throat> who became a Catholic priest and a Monsignor. We know him as Monsignor Robert Hugh Benson. He's written quite a number of very excellent books, novels. Well, he published a book called The Lord of the World in 1907. It was about the coming of the Antichrist. And if you read that book now, you would have to see it as prophetic. He talks about inventions that would come into the world and be present at the, and used at the time of the Antichrist. He talks about the rise of the Antichrist from the, well, actually it was understood, uh, he didn't mention this in the book, but Monsignor Benson thought that the Antichrist would come out of the Theosophical Societies of uh, Britain and the Occult Theosophical Societies which Francis could easily belong to. I'm not saying he does, but I'm just saying his thinking is such that it would fall into line very much with this. And the Amazon Senate falls into line. 
But Monsignor Benson <clears throat> talks about so many things that, that, that fall right in line with this, this whole idea of the divine feminine. He even has, I mean, who is the, who is the one who choreographs the mandatory global worship required by the Antichrist in the book? The man who reveals himself finally is the Antichrist demands global worship <clears throat> and his name is the, the man who is the the, the apostate priest <clears throat> who signs on with the antichrist government to lead the global worship is a man named mr francis <clears throat> the name of the antichrist <clears throat> is julian felsenberg felsenberg bergoglio i mean <clears throat> i know i know these things seem tenuous but if you read the novel and you put it all together and you, you see finally this the crescendo working up to this, this great worship service where the Divine Mother is revealed, the statue of the Divine Mother, <clears throat> and the thousands are bowing down before the statue of this Divine Feminine, the Divine Mother, right? And the Antichrist figure standing at the base of the statue, he appeals to her as his mother, <clears throat> that she is the one who has brought him into the world. <clears throat> He's the son of the Divine Mother now, born of her, the Antichrist. You'd have to really go back and read that. Now, I know many of our readers probably are familiar with the book. Many have no doubt read it. But uh, one has to go back in the light of this synod <clears throat> and this instrumental laboris. And, and reread that book and see there's, there's something very sinister going on here in more ways than one, I see. So I, uh, anyway, I, I'd like to do a program about that. And as a matter of fact, um, there are other things that are relevant to this that should be brought in to, to tie all of this together. I don't know of anybody right now who has actually brought that novel out of the table and saying, Read this. Same year, the Shendi condemned the errors of the modernists. <clears throat> Ten years before Our Lady uh, said that Russia would spread her errors throughout the world. And Russia, an occultic phenomenon, that definitely was satanic in her Marxism. Uh, Marxist was, Marx was a Satanist. <clears throat> and so now we have this, this happening. And one would have to see uh, the prescience uh, displayed by Monsignor Robert Eubenson in writing about these events with the unveiling of the Antichrist and how he is going to make himself uh, known to the world and the public worship that the whole world is going to be called to indulge in. Mm -hmm. It is precisely that of the Amazon Synod. Mm -hmm. Father, just, just to, uh, to add to this um, <clears throat> irony, perhaps, uh, one of our, our staff members just told me that the, the, the book you're talking about with uh, Monsignor Hubinson, that's actually one of Francis's favorite books. Mm -hmm. What about that? Well, I, I think he's probably using it as a manual. Yeah. <clears throat> that's, uh, yeah. I mean, even, even the book even talks about this extraordinary conclave where just a handful of cardinals elect a pope. And his name is Percy Franklin. I mean, the name Francis keeps, keeps coming up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, it, it is uh, interesting 
called uh, one of his favorite books. Isn't that curious? Uh, <laughs> well, well, I, you know, <clears throat> I guess if he sees himself playing a very prominent role in the book, <clears throat> okay, I can see that he might actually uh, enjoy the book because it shows the ascendancy to power, doesn't it? It does. Um, yeah. <clears throat> well, Father, if the we adoring could, uh, masses. If we could, could in the program, we're, we're trying to put a Catholic spin on, on some of this and just reference. Well, we can't put a Catholic spin on the Amazon Senate. <laughs> but uh, in what we're saying about it, okay, it has to be from a traditional Catholic point of view, our Catholic faith. You know? yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, the, the, the ultimate, uh, I'm not, you know, kind of, giving away the, the punchline, or, the, or I should say, the, the for those who haven't read the, the it's a novel, okay, The Lord of the World, but it does talk about the final battle at Armageddon. And uh, Monsignor Benson was very well known for having gone through the storyline of his novels and then rebuilding up to this great crescendo, <clears throat> like a great resolution, and then the end. <clears throat> And kind of leaving it hanging there. Mm. And uh, it, it actually bothered many of his readers. <laughs> he even points that out, as a matter of fact. Mm. But um, it's, it's similar to that. He brings us right up to the final, final conflict, like final confrontation. <clears throat> and uh, he closes with a very terse statement. That's the end. It's quite, quite uh, marvelous. Uh, but in the end, I mean, we know. Um, Our Lady said at Fatima, in the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. Her Immaculate Heart is filled with the perfect love, the absolute. She loves God with her all of her heart and mind and soul and strength. That's what will triumph. <clears throat> and uh, we also know that our Lord, as he has said from the, in the Gospels, will come. And he will judge all of this. And all of this that we're building, that's building up to here, and the idea of the Antichrist leading the world religion, <clears throat> and not the Father, but the Divine Mother, okay, uh, drawing the worship of mankind to worship the earth, to worship this creation, the place of God, that our Lord will blow him away like a puff of smoke, because of him is nothing. Just an illusion, just a mirage. The victim of his own delusion. The satanic delusion that he would be God, right? Make himself out to be God. So we always have to remember that. We also have to remember what St. Paul says in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and I recommend that all of our viewers go and read that. Second Epistle of St. Paul to the Thess Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 2, which talks about the coming of the Antichrist and how St. Paul says two things that are the most important to conclude that chapter. He says, first of all, <clears throat> we, we must hold fast to the traditions we've received, either by sacred scripture or the actual traditions of the church. Okay, makes it clear. And the, the other thing he says, we must have a love for the truth, because those who have a love for the truth 
will, that will be like an immunization that will immunize them against the disease of the Antichrist. Those two things, he says, we have to have. So uh, this is what our traditional Catholic faith gives us. And that's why we have to cling to that no matter what. Um, so to put a Catholic spin, as it were, on this, as you say, I would just say that. Mm -hmm. Well, Father, one final point that I wanted to make in regards to this, um, I think all of this that's going on with the Amazon Senate and this, this global pact in particular, where uh, Francis, he, he speaks again and again of, of uh, this idea of humanism and and these uh, these kind of dream villages that we must that we must establish to to essentially create a, a heaven on earth. He talks about healing the planet and talks about this world as our home over and over again. That that theme seems to be uh, the dominant theme of this global pact. It's that this world is our home and uh, that that we must focus all of our energies on that. And I think, Father, just to um, if you could perhaps just contrast that idea. Uh, of naturalism, essentially, with the the true Catholic idea of of just viewing this this earth as just our, our temporary, uh, not not really even our home in a sense. It's it's more of a, a state of banishment. Our Lord says, "What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul?" Right? Makes it very clear that uh, the flesh itself profits nothing. Okay, um, we must. Um, inevitably uh, leave this world and our, our Lord talks about not perishing with the world you know because the world is, is destined to be to be uh, as we know it destined to be destroyed because of sin and um, the book of the apocalypse makes that clear in the end but we are made as our Lord said to live as the angels in heaven the angels not only having, uh, and not merely having the natural powers of an angel, but to, even to live as the angels who are now glorified in heaven by the beatific vision. We are meant to join them, not only in the powers of the, of the angel by nature, but we are meant to join them in the, in the powers of the glorification that only God's grace can give, the grace of the beatific vision to raise us even above the natural powers of the angel, to share in that glory. That's what we're made for. And the fact that uh, Francis Jorge Bergoglio wants us to try to, uh, you know, create on this earth some kind of Garden of Eden, again, is a delusion. Um, it's, a, it's a diabolical delusion, and that's what Our Lady said at Fatima. There would be a diabolical disorientation. The fact that it's it's uh, being orchestrated from the Vatican, I think it's just another way of saying exactly what the former head of the Vatican Bank said, Ettore uh, Gotti Tedeschi, when he said that they're creating a new religion. I mean, he said it long before these conservative bloggers were saying it. He actually came out and said it. We said it here on the program. He said they they're, they're want to create and put into place a worldwide Gnostic environmentalism, or for that matter, environmental Gnosticism with the, their ecology, but a Gnosticism that talks about mankind being God. And um, this means basically we are the product of the earth. 
and um, that we have to um, take our rightful place as as a race, as a human race, draw together and recognize our own divinity. This is what Gnosticism is all about. This is exactly what St. Pius X condemned. Actually, if you read his encyclicals after Vashendi, he warns about exactly this happening. Who can say this is not the great apostasy? <clears throat> One argues sometimes that in Pascendi Domenici Gregis, condemning the errors of the modernist, St. Pius X did not use the word apostasy. Even when he was referring to modernism as the synthesis of all heresies, he did not use the word apostasy. But I would say they're wrong in that. <clears throat> that at the very beginning of that encyclical in 1907, when St. Pius X talked about how terrified he was to become the Pope at that time, and he says why? Because he believes the events that were foretold by St. Paul in precisely that second epistle, and second chapter of that second epistle to the Thessalonians <clears throat> about the, the era of the Antichrist, that that was upon us, that that might be already in place or soon to come. That's what he said. It's in that very chapter that St. Paul talks about, hey, apostasia, the great apostasy. So the fact that St. Pius X didn't use the word apostasy <clears throat> doesn't mean that he's not talking about that. Quite the contrary. He starts with that in the encyclical, appealing to that very scenario as being what made him terrified to accept the office of the papacy at that moment um, because of that prophesied apostasy that we might be facing. He later on refers to this again in other encyclicals, too. He says that man wants to place himself on the throne of God here and make himself out to be God, even as the great mentor of modernism, Satan, did. Satan wants man to follow his evil example, and he wants man to be the child of Satan, not the child of God. And he does this in mimicry and mockery of God. And this is what modernism is all about. This is where this, this Amazonian sit-in is heading now. And um, there are those who saw it coming. I, I think that Monsignor Robert U. Benson saw it very clearly. And I, I personally think his novel, The Lord of the World, is kind of a prophetic warning of what it's going to look like. It looks like what's happening in the Vatican right now. And that, that certainly looks rather, rather bleak, Father, but... Uh... Looks ominous, but we always have to... Uh, you might say, look ahead and read the end of the story and that we know how it ends, right? Mm -hmm. And that is in the, in the glory of God for those who love him. Mm -hmm. And Father, just real quick in closing, could you just say a few words on the rosary? We just celebrated the Feast of the Most Holy Rosary mm -hmm. on October 7th, and mm -hmm. this uh, month, I believe, is dedicated to, to the rosary. So, Father, mm -hmm. do you believe that the rosary is, is perhaps the best means available of overcoming all of this evil that we see in the world today? Well, the Holy Mass is. That's why the devil bends all of his powers against that against the Mass. He wants to destroy the Holy Sacrifice. He hates the Holy Sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. <clears throat> and 
he what he hates in particular is the the resurrection that our Lord was not dead, buried, and didn't stay that way, right? He could not control our Lord even in death, right? And he is desperate to try to stuff that back in the in the grave and bury it. And this time he's not going to rely on the Roman guards to keep our Lord there. He he is going to try to follow what uh, was expressed by one great enemy of the faith, Voltaire, who said that we must eradicate from the face of the earth even the memory of Christ. Because he said, even if the memory of Christ remains, then the faith, the Catholic faith, will rise from the dead. And he was talking about the Catholic faith. What faith this man had to believe that even the memory of the faith on earth would have the power to rise, the church would rise from the dead. <laughs> now there, there is somebody with faith, but he hated it, right? There's someone with the faith of Satan, right? As St. Peter says, even the devil believes and he trembles, you know. So it was with Voltaire. He believed too. And he trembled with fear that even the memory of Christ would remain here on earth. His goal was to destroy even the memory of Christ. And you know how he said the secret societies of the Masons should start? The secret societies, anyway. Um, by, by suborning the Jesuits. That was his formula. We have to start with the Jesuits. We have to destroy the Jesuits. Well, guess what? We're watching, we are looking with our own eyes at the fruits of his, of his battle plan right now, the Jesuits, right? <clears throat> and um, so it is, we're witnessing the anti-Jesuits who are trying to undo the missionary work of all those Jesuit missionaries of old. Saint uh, Isaac Job, whose feast day we had recently, Saint John of Babeuf, and the rest. Francis is the anti-Jesuit. He's the antithesis of the Jesuit missionaries who came, and now he's condemning the work they did. It's colonialism, right? Now he's condemning them, and he wants to undo the work that they did in conversion, the sacrifices that they made of their very lives. Okay, it's an, it's it's incredible how this is so antithetical. I mean, it's almost. Uh, watching some kind of a uh, of an incredible storyline that has been written somewhere in the infernal regions of hell to try to mimic and mock the truth and the work of the church throughout the ages and her missionaries <clears throat> okay that's what francis is doing right now but uh in, in any case <clears throat> the um the the ultimate uh result of all this we know what it's going to be we have to we always have to return to that we have to keep coming back to that and uh and see where this is where this is leading here sure. and have that faith if only we had as much faith in Vol that voltaire had <clears throat> in his hatred of the church to not be shaken by what we see happening we see we see conservative bloggers on the internet now expressing their amazement and their shock at what's happening to the church and beginning to express their doubts, to express their doubts about the true Catholic faith and the teaching of the church and the papacy and all the rest. They're beginning, we see the cracks beginning in their faith. 
because of what's happening. And this is exactly what Bergoglio wants to have happen here, that the those who still have the faith and see what's happening and are horrified by what there's, they see happening in the Vatican by Bergoglio, he wants to attack their faith too and undermine it so that they lose their faith altogether and say, well, I guess what we believed could not be true because, well, how can you have a Francis in the Vatican as the Pope doing what he's doing if what we believed and what the Church taught us about the papacy is true, then there's a contradiction here. That's what he wants those who still have the traditional faith to think. He wants them to begin to doubt their faith, even about Christ's promise that I will be with you always, even to the consummation of the world. We have to be able to see what the apostles saw, but not have our faith uh, destroyed. When the apostles saw our Lord from a distance dying on the cross, when they knew what happened, they did not believe. The only one left on the face of the earth who had faith was the Blessed Mother. And that's why to this day we see Saturday as her special day. Because there was that time on Holy Saturday, what we now call Holy Saturday, where she was the only faithful soul alive on the face of the earth who believed, who still had the faith. And we have to be like her. So I guess that's what I'm getting at when it comes down to the matter of the rosary. Yes, we have to be like her. We have to find our sanctuary in her immaculate heart. That's exactly why she's telling us that God wants us to consecrate ourselves to her immaculate heart, because we are going to see things happening that took the faith away from all the rest. And she was the only one who still preserved the faith and never wavered. So we have to find our strength of faith in her immaculate heart here. This is why we are meant to through the rosary, relive the events of the life of our Lord and our Blessed Mother in his life. We are meant to relive those events. As the Gospel tells us, Our Lady kept all of these things in her heart, what we now call the Immaculate Heart of Mary. That's where our Lord wants us to go. We're going to have to come through these times with our faith intact, and even strengthened by what we see. As opposed to the apostles who were horrified and whose faith was shaken to its very foundations by the passion and death of Christ on the cross, our faith cannot give, our faith cannot fail. And how is that going to be preserved? On the sure foundations of Our Lady's faith during that Holy Saturday. This is what heaven is telling us. This is where we have to go now. And uh, we have to go there with the rosary in our hands and in our hearts to unite with Mary, our blessed lady, in her immaculate heart. That's all. That's the message of heaven right now. Unite our hearts with the immaculate heart of Mary and your faith will never fail you. Father, I think that's a beautiful thought to end on. Thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate, uh, appreciate your time. time. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. God bless you, Tom, and all of our viewers out there as well. Yeah. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. 
Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and also to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.